allow me to introduce you to your arch nemesis. His name is the Eight Sahara, the evil inclination. He is interwoven in the forces of your very soul, intertwined in the order of your spirit. He associates with you. He gives you guidance in your physical and spiritual lives. He rules over the very secrets of your soul. And he is hidden inside of the breast of every man. He is your advisor, and he watches your every movement, whether visible or invisible to the human eye. He lies in wait, watching your steps to lead you astray. And when you are asleep, he's still awake. When you look away from him, he doesn't look away from you. He masks himself as your friend and pretends to show you love. He enters into your inner circle of close friends, close advisors. And from his gestures and signs, it appears that he is following your orders and running to do your will. But in fact, he's shooting deadly arrows right into your heart to uproot you from the land of the living. That's the English translation of the Chavis Halavavis Shar Hamishi explaining just what we are up against in this world. So in case you haven't discovered your good friend, Mr. Yitzhahara, now you have the opportunity to say hello. This is a famous paragraph. I felt it was important to begin this talk by referencing it. And because of the previous paragraph's fame, often the very next paragraph is overlooked. But in the next paragraph, the Chavis Halavavis gives away a tremendous secret. And among the strongest of the Yetzirah's weapons that he will use to wage war against you and to attack your innermost being is, he tells us, what is one of his most powerful forces that he uses to stop us and wreck our spiritual and physical lives. But before we expose his answer, I want to jump into this specific spot in the parsha, touch on an epic Ramban that seems to clearly reference this same idea that the Chovos Halavavos gives away as the strongest of the Yetzirah's weapons and portray, illustrate just how the weapons were used to derail even the generation that saw HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a way that no one has since seen. And let's set the scene. We pick it up, Parshas Peshalach, Parak Yedalad Pasuk Yod, Paro Hikriv, Ayusu B'nei Yisrael, Eseinei Mitzrayim, Noisteach Reim, and Paro drew near, and the children of Israel raised their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were journeying after them, chasing them down. Get back here, you escaped slaves. 
Ayuru Ma'od. And the Israelites were frightened. Vayitzaku b'nei Yisrael el Hashem. And the children of Israel cried out before Hashem. Vayomru, the next Pasuk, and they said, El Moshe, to Moshe. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you let us out to die here in the wilderness? What is this that you have done to take us out here and die in the desert? Why'd you bring us out of Egypt for this? You can hear the hearts of the Klal Yisrael beating out of their chests from here. Just imagine how scared they were. And they cried out, But it's not immediately apparent how to understand those words that they cried out to Hashem. Were they crying out with prayer? Were they crying out in pain? Had they lost faith? Were they crying out Complaining, maybe. It's not immediately apparent, for in the next Pusuk, you find that the people were complaining to Moshe Rabbeinu. Perhaps these two Pusukim seem to be connected. Are they crying out to Hashem and then complaining to Moshe? What exactly is the flow of these Pusukim? How do we understand by Yitzhaku? Well, I'm glad that you asked because it's a, I guess to my knowledge, at least a three-way machlokas between the great Rishonim. Unkelis maintains Vayitzaku is a lashon of complaint. Uze'iku b'nei Yisrael kodem Hashem. They cried out, complaining. Hashem, you took us out here for this? And then immediately they continue their complaints to Moshe. Were there not enough graves? Rashi famously doesn't take that approach. They grabbed on to the profession, the working of their grandparents, the Avos. Umnus means a job. What Jewish people do for a living is pray. And that's exactly what the Jewish people did here. The Lashon of Tefillah, Hashem, please help us out. It is then left to our imagination to, then why the change of heart? Why did they go complain to Moshe? It seems like they were not believing of their impending salvation, but rather now they're frightened. Why the sudden change of heart? Maybe we can insert here to answer that that there are different groups of Jews. The Ramban points this out in the story, that there are different factions, some bigger, larger believers than others. Maybe one deeply faithful part of Klal Yisrael was trusting in Hashem and praying, and the other was being Maharher Achar Moshe, not believing anymore. Or maybe we take the Gur Ari, the Maharal's approach. In Tafsu Um Neshelavosam, Rashi doesn't exactly mean to praise them. Rashi's explaining that they did it like a job. He explains Rashi meaning that they just prayed like it was a nine to five. It wasn't. 
positive but negative is what Rashi is commenting. Either way, the Ramban here is what I really want to focus on. He brings both Rashi and Uncleus' approach to the Pasuk before telling us that something entirely different was happening. Says the Ramban, The nation were total believers in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his salvation. But in Moshe, they had doubts. Maybe Moshe has led us out here because he wants to rule over us, to become our new dictator. But what about all those miracles that just happened? Well, he has done some pretty cool things. Maybe he is some sort of magic worker, a hypnotist, a miracle worker. He's used his wisdom to trick us. But maybe he just is doing all of that to become our dictator. Or maybe all of that just happened because it was Hashem not doing it for our sake. It was just because of how wicked Mitzrayim was. We just got lucky to be the ones to escape from it. But it doesn't make any sense. Clearly something's not right here because if we were supposed to be saved, why are the Egyptians running after us? So the Ramban says that the people thought like this. That originally, they davened like big tzaddikim. Hashem, please save us. It can't end like this. Please make Paro go away once and for all. Please listen to us. But then they kept looking over their shoulder to see if their tefillahs were answered. But he wasn't leaving. He wasn't going away. But he was actually coming closer. So then, Hashem hasn't accepted our tefillahs. And then because of this new melancholic uncertainty, therefore they began to go say, wait a second, Moshe, maybe this is all a scam, all a trick for you to take hold of us. And the Pesukim read beautifully here. It's Vayitzaku. B'nai Yisrael Hashem, make Paro go away. Why is he still chasing after us? And then the next Pasuk, after the Jewish people saw that their tefillahs weren't answered and Paro's still here, the great Miriam Ashkiach, during the Roaring Twenties, the epic spiritual dean, he educates us by bringing the Chovas Halavavas to connect it to this Ramban, that is the ultimate artillery for the way the Yetzah Hara destroys our progress. He inserts doubts into our mind. He makes things 
uncertain. We pray and we aren't answered. So we begin to doubt what we already knew with total certainty and clarity. The Jewish people had seen Eser Makos smashing the taskmasters and pyro to smithereens. Not a single locust had entered into Goshen. None of their animals had perished. None of their firstborns had perished. It was clear. By Aminu, they believed. And they followed out into the desert. Trusting in Hashem. But all of a sudden, even the Dardea fell prey to the doubts of the Yetzirah that made them say, wait a second, why aren't our tefillos being answered? Why are the Egyptians coming up so close to us? Wait a second. Is Moshe Rabbeinu then going to just become our new dictator? Maybe all this was a scam. Maybe none of that ever happened. It is amongst the strongest of the Eitzahara's weapons that he will try to cast doubts on things that you know, says the Chayvah Salavavis. He will make unsure what you know to be true and seek to confuse what is clear to you. He will send false thoughts your way and suggest erroneous arguments and to draw you away from all of the things that will benefit you and cause you to doubt what has been totally clear to you and make your faith and your religion uncertain, all to drag you down to the pit of hell. Nobody is free from the let me rethink it, attitude. Nobody is exempt from the, I just got to reconsider. Maybe all of that wasn't exactly what we thought it was. You know, I really did see clearly, but what if? Rabbi Rucham starts to piece this theme together as the doubts continue to emerge in the hearts of the Dordea, the all-knowing generation of the wilderness. As Ka'ama v'Ka'ama upon him so many times, it seems like the nation has doubts. Maybe they don't believe. They're uncertain about things. That it leads the great Python, the great David HaMelech, to write, Our boyim shona okut bedorva. Oymar Am Toye Levavheim for 40 years. I fought with this nation. I was bothered by this nation. And I said they are mistaken of heart. Toye Levav. We must take everything with a grain of salt because we are talking about the greatest nation, the holiest people to, to have ever lived. At least the most clarity for sure. But the Sahara doesn't leave any person untouched. Doubts. Sefekos. How often is good work, progress, left to be just that without any more progress, any more advancement because of newfound doubts? What if I'm not doing the right thing? 
One of the ways of the eight Sahara that is often found, I often find in my life, is what if there's a better way to do it? Oh yeah, you can do more. But it all comes from the same doubt. The same revisiting, reevaluating, reconsidering. But it's all from the same arch nemesis that only seeks to create doubt of Aitzaku El Hashem, an unanswered tefillah, even though the Mitzrayim were never going to touch us, but some emotional pain left them questioning Moshe at their level. And now it's really all open. You could lose everything that you've worked for. What's next to clarify is that where to draw the line? Because when do we know that we have done enough thinking, enough evaluating, that we can decide that this second guessing is the Yetzirah? Because great chachamim, wise gentlemen, have long been... Just great thinkers, those that are always deep in thought, thinking if they're doing the right thing. But at the same time here, we now must take tremendous caution from this practice. So where can we decide and show clearly when we are clear and have decided and now any future thinking is harmful? And it would seem from Chazal... We could conjure a rule. You can have a foolproof way to decide whether or not you are a wise, deep thinker or you are just an overthinker. And that is whether or not any new data or information has been presented. See, Claudius Earl had total clarity. All the data in the world. It was totally borer, zorach kashemesh, bashomayim. I don't know if that works, but it was clear as the sun shining in the heavens. Of course there's a God. Of course it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he's working for us. Or we have a close intimate connection with him. So now even though some emotional pain is here, that the Egyptians are rushing towards us and our prayers are not being answered, but there isn't any new data on the table to suggest otherwise. There is no proof that there is no Hashem. There's nothing more to think about. It's just some discomfort. And discomfort without any new data does not call for a Retrial. We know that that's got to be the eight Sahara. Calling us back and saying, hey, wait a second. You're a big wise guy. Let's rethink it. So now we know the arch nemesis. We know about the doubts and we know how to read the Pesukim here. And we know that once we have clarified, understood, and decided... Well, then that's it. You save as, you print, you file it away, 
and you move on, not revisiting, not reopening, not reclaring, not reunderstanding, not reconsidering, not reevaluating, none of it. But that's all from that arch nemesis, the Eight Sahara, trying to destroy your progress and waste your energies. So you ignore it. You go back to davening. You continue about your way, disregarding the Eight Sahara's doubts. Perhaps we can summarize today's talk. That you dive into Hashem. You have your clarity. You've witnessed things. You know things. You've decided. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm doing chesed. I won't speak this way. It could be anything in any area that you have all the information and you've thought about it, you've taken your time, methodically gone through the topic, and now you have decided and end of the sugya, sof pasuk. It's over. You decide and then you go. And anything else, it's just being Mahara Achramosha and it's from your arch nemesis, the Eight Sahara. So think, contemplate, Decide and then go, not noticing or caring for any of the second thoughts that the Yitzhahara throws your way. Can the